obey the truth and life. So Paul is accused of being a ringleader of this sect, but also of causing a riot and defiling the temple. And so Paul stands up to defend himself. Himself, and he says in verse 10, when the governor motioned him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you've been a judge over this nation, so I, I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 years ago, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city, and they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. He, despite facing the governor, despite knowing that this could cost his life, Paul still confesses that I do follow the way. He still says uh, that I identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is still not afraid or ashamed to identify with his faith. And then he continues to say, I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets and I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. And that is a very strong statement there. There will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Everyone that dies in Christ will rise again. And everyone that dies without Christ will rise again. The difference will be where you will spend that eternity. Because if you die without Christ, you will spend eternity away from Christ. It's called hell. Revelation calls it the second death. But if you die in Christ, you will spend eternity with Christ. Paul says in verse 16, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. This is something that I continue doing to make sure that I am blameless. 
The reason Paul went to Jerusalem and he says from verse 17 was to bring the offerings that had been collected from among the Gentiles to help the brothers, the needy brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And it is that time when, of course, you remember he was encouraged to purify himself even though he didn't need it. And when he went to the temple, uh, the crowd that saw him there were agitated and began to shout, wanting to get rid of him. He says in verse 19, there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. All these who are here should state what crime they have found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in the presence, it is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. In other words, Paul says, I have done nothing wrong and no one has been able to prove that I have done anything wrong. And then Felix, who was acquainted with the way, he knew about this faith in Jesus Christ and the people that followed Christ, adjourned the proceedings and saying, when Lysias, the commander, comes, I will decide your case. And he ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. So he treats Paul well. This tells us that he really has nothing to, against Paul's faith. He does not believe, but he's not against it either. Something happens when Paul is kept under God in prison that should take our attention. And I think the whole of this text is leading us here. If you look at verse 24, several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. In the context of faith in Jesus Christ. So Felix and his wife privately come to meet with Paul. They want to hear. And Paul uses that opportunity to share with them the message of salvation. The message of salvation is very clear. The message of salvation declares 
that there is only one name given under heaven by which we must be saved. That is Acts chapter 4 verse 12. It also declares that there is only one way which is Jesus Christ in John 14, 6. This means that God does not favor any other person, any other way, and any other religion. It means that you cannot claim to have found a different way. It means that you cannot hold on to your religion or denomination and hope that it will take you to heaven. One name, one way. One Lord, Jesus Christ. The message of salvation declares that salvation is found in no one else except in Jesus Christ and the sacrificial death on the cross. There is nothing else you can add to that. Now, to unpack this, it's good for us to realize what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are sinners. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, the Bible says, there is no one who is righteous, not even one. All have fallen short of the glory of God because all have sinned. Romans 3, 10 and 23. But it also tells us in, in chapter 5, verse 12, just as death entered through one man and sin, sorry, just as sin entered through one man, referring to Adam, and death through sin, all die because all have sinned. It tells us that the reason we die is because of sin. Not because of the things that you do, but because you are born with the want to do wrong. You are born with a sinful nature that leads us to death. Just as sin passed to all men, death came with sin. And because of that, we all die because we all have sinned. Remember, there is sin the root and sin the fruit. Sin the root is the nature that we are born with the desire to do wrong that we, were, we are born with. I told you about my daughter when she was two. I saw her pinching her brother, Wilji. We never taught her that. That was the fruit. I remember Wilji when he was young. There is a day I sent him for milk when we were in Kenya. The milk was sold in a packet. And he drank that milk. I think it was two and a half. The fruit. The things, the bad things that we do are the fruits of the root that we already have. 
Remember I told you an apple tree is not an apple tree because it produces apples. It is an apple tree, that's why it produces apples. It will be an apple tree even without apples. The apples just confirms the lies we tell, the things that we watch in private that we know they are ungodly, and other things that we do are the fruits. They reveal that we are sinners. You're not a sinner because of what you do. You do what you do because you are a sinner. Okay? That has been clarified. So the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of sin, Romans 6, 23, the first part says the wages of sin is death. The second death, separation from God. Hebrews 9, 27 reminds us that it is appointed to man first to die and after death, judgment. It is appointment. That is, an, that is an appointment that you and I will never escape unless we turn to Jesus Christ. It is the only appointment that the blood of Jesus Christ cancels. That the judgment that is talked because of our sins, we escape it when we turn to Jesus Christ. So, if you are without Christ, you are lost. You have missed the mark. You have fallen short of the glory of God, regardless of what you believe. But there is hope. Because in Romans 5 verse 8, the Bible says, But God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is hope because John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So God is offering salvation to us as a gift. The last part of Romans 6.23 says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. He is offering salvation to us as a gift. It becomes ours when we receive it by faith. So how do you receive this gift? It requires that we change our minds. It, is, it requires that we turn to the Lord. It requires that we repent. Now we talk about repentance. 
which is really a change of mind. But it is a change of mind that reflects sorrow. It's when the weight of sin is upon you, when you realize how ungodly you are, when you realize how lost you are, and you grieve your own sins, and you turn to the Lord for forgiveness. The Bible says that godly sorrow leads to repentance, but worldly sorrow leads to death. In 2 Corinthians 7, 10. So Paul shares the message of salvation with Felix and his wife Drusilla. And the Bible says, Felix was afraid. Good. This tells me that he was convicted. And it makes me ask, what do you do when the Holy Spirit convicts you? Felix is afraid when he hears this message. It speaks to his heart. It cuts through. And he is afraid. And it is good. We have to be afraid every time we come before a holy God. Isaiah cried out and said, Woe unto me, for I have seen the Lord. Every human being that goes before a holy God will realize how sinful he is and will be afraid. And it is that fear that leads to repentance. And so when I read that Felix, this hateful governor, was afraid, I am, yes, that's what you want to see. Because the message of salvation enlarges the emptiness in your heart, the vacuum which only God can fill. It helps you realize that you are so far from God. You are on your, your way to hell. It convicts you. And Felix feels it. And this is the part that I expect him to to ask Paul, what can I do? But instead, the Bible says, he said, that's enough for now. That's enough for now. What do you do when the Holy Spirit convicts you? You can turn away. You can turn away and tell yourself that you are better than what God says. You can turn away and tell yourself that I still believe what my denomination teaches. You can turn away and tell yourself that that is your opinion. 
You can turn away and convince yourself that you want to remain the same. You can turn away from the Lord even when you know that He is speaking to your heart. It happens to Christians all the time. You hear a message that you know it's speaking to you, and you tell yourself, I'm not ready to do that. You hear the Holy Spirit convicting you, the deepest part of your heart, and you tell yourself, hmm, I wish my brother was here to hear this message. <laughs> you just pass it along. This is not for me. That's one of the most discouraging things I have heard from people after preaching. I wish so-and-so was here. No! We have so many ways, we've discovered so many ways of avoiding, turning away from the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we do that all the time. And the problem is, when you keep on turning away, the voice that convicts you will start fading. You will hear the same message again and again, but it will have no impact in you. Because sin is deceitful. And because it is deceitful, it hardens the heart. That's why there are things you use to do before and you would feel guilty about them and you do them today and you feel okay. Watch out because you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There are words that you used to say when you became a Christian, you realized they were wrong, and, and, and you, whenever by accident you said it, you would feel a conviction. And then you started ignoring that, and you ignored it, and now you can say them and just be okay. The deceitfulness of sin hardens the heart. The more you turn away from God's truth, the more hardened you become. So when you, the Holy Spirit convicts you, you can either turn away or you can turn to the Lord. Felix and his wife here, they turn away. And you know, you may say, oh, maybe later on they got saved. The reason the author has included this here, he wants you to know this is what happened. Do not find some encouragement somewhere else. There was a teenager whose father died many years ago. And uh, I did that funeral. His father, from what we knew, he was not 
saved. Three days after the funeral, this teenager came to me and she asked me, said one of the pastors told her that her father may have gotten saved before he died. But no one knows, which is possible. I mean, it can happen to, to anyone. So she came to me and asked me, said, I want to know if I will find my father in heaven. And this was a, a very emotional time for her. And you know, I could have said, yes, you will. And that would have been an encouragement, a false encouragement, because I'm not sure of that. But I looked at her and I told her, if he is in heaven, you will find him when you get there. And that's the truth. That's the truth about our brothers, our sisters, our spouses, our parents. If they are in heaven, we will find them there when we get there. And for any person that has been concerned with that, my encouragement to you would be, do not be concerned about that. Because there is nothing you can do to change anything. Your concern should be those who are alive today. That's where your concern should be. Be focused on reaching out to those who are still breathing. Not the ones that have gone. Those ones are out of your control. So you can choose to worry yourself, but you will not move anything. And that is why the Catholic Church realized that people are so concerned about those who are dead, their dead loved ones. Let's take advantage of that. And they took advantage of that. And the church made millions out of that because people paid. And they continue to do that. That's why they pray for the dead. That's why they ask the saints to pray for them because they believe the dead have some control. They have some power. We pray for them and those who have been declared saints, they can pray for us. There is no hope in that. It's a false sense of hope. The only hope we can have is in the Lord Jesus Christ. My mother is a very prayerful woman. But if the Lord takes her, 
I will never ask her to pray for me. And I will not pray for her. She won't need it. Your concern should be those who are alive now. I think actually it's the enemy's strategy to distract Christians, to make them focused on their dead loved ones instead of the ones who are alive. If your loved one is in heaven and you know that you are going there, you will see them. What do you do when you when the Holy Spirit convicts you? You can either turn away or you can turn to the Lord. Felix turns away because this is not the message that he wants to hear with his wife. It's not uh, the health and wealth message that gives people a false sense of hope. It's not a message that affirms and promotes ungodliness. It's not a message that is meant to make people happy but remain empty. It's a message that delights God's heart, a message that speaks to your heart and mind, a message that opens us up before the holy God and calls us to respond. And so you can turn away or you can turn to the Lord. But this this is not limited to the message of salvation. This is limited. This is about everything that the Lord speaks to us. Just, just, just ask yourself, how many times have you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit and you turned away? I know I have. I have been ashamed many times. You know, I say something to my wife and I, I just feel that. And then my pride makes me hold on. You know, it tells me if, if I go right now and tell her I'm sorry, she, she might feel, I'll give her some time. And then later on, I will go and say, I'm sorry. You see, I want to be in control. I don't want to submit. And there are times we would push that voice away and push it away until we start hearing it from far, far away. And then we don't hear it anymore. We've quenched the Holy Spirit. So ask yourself, what is it that you know God has been telling you? 
and you have been turning away. What is it that the Holy Spirit has been convicting you of and you have been coming up with reasons after reasons not to submit? And you know that's what God wants you to do. You know that he's speaking to you, he's speaking to your heart and he's telling you, my son, my daughter, this is what I want you to do. How long do you intend to turn away? Because the Lord loves you. He means well. And when he speaks to us, it's because he wants the best for us. When he reveals our sins, he is inviting us to be forgiven, to experience healing. How long do you want to stay that way? You see, a good example in the Bible is the Philippian jailer. When the prison was shaken and the prisoners were set free and the jailer wanted to kill himself and Paul said, we are all here, do not harm yourself because he thought the, prisoner had, the prisoners had escaped. And then he invited Paul to his house. And he, he, in fact, that very moment when Paul said, we are here, his question was, what must I do to be saved? And maybe he, was, he wasn't referring to salvation. Maybe he was referring to being saved from the, the, the Roman Empire and all that. But Paul spoke the word of God to him and his family. And he believed and they were all baptized. He submitted. He did not turn away like Felix. What is it that you know the Lord has been speaking to your heart? And you've been turning away. You know, one of the reasons some Christians live a life that is not empowered is because they have been ignoring the voice of the Holy Spirit. When God speaks, we must respond. We always respond. We either turn away or turn to him. What will you do today?